Today we are starting a journey to look really at the creation and its implications for us in 2020. We'll probably just barely touch into Genesis chapter 12 and the covenant of God with Abraham and, and end at that point. When that will be, I don't know, a couple months down the line here. Um, why do this study, this What we are going to study is fundamental. It is foundational. It is a rock upon which we can stand against the storms and the tornadoes of our culture. Some things within the created realm, within the creation story that we would have to come to terms with, it's in the news. Open up the news. Um, There is a plague exploding out of China. Why? What? How come? Where's this going? What does this mean? This week also, the doomsday clock is closer to midnight than it has ever been. You know, I, I, think, I think there have been times where they've actually ticked it back a little bit, but they only tick it forward, closer. And, you know, the, it's apparently like the atomic scientists that are the ones that are supposed to do it. That's how it started out. Einstein, Oppenheimer, essentially right after World War II, they went, I mean, we are close to blowing ourselves to smithereens now, and we need to be aware of this fact. Well, the guys who are setting the clock now, they're not atomic scientists. The guy who's the chair on the committee for the doomsday clock is former Governor Jerry Brown from California. He's, he's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's... Um, so, you know, what does this mean? You know, where is, where is humanity going? The first president ever attended the March for Life. You know, some have given messages to it. Some have ignored it completely. But none have attended until this year. So what? Who cares? What is the March for Life? Uh, the Women's March takes place at the same time. What is the Women's March? There's silly hats on their head. You can wear, you can wear crocheted hats. Hey, cool. <laughs> Um, okay, that, that, that was this week. And I would contend that this bears on these things. Loneliness is on the rise. We are more attached to people than ever before. And we are more lonely than we have ever been. Study in Britain. Study 2,000 people and 50% say that there are times that they feel really lonely. Not just, oh, you know, okay, I'm, I'm alone. I'm alone in my car. Well, no, you're not lonely. You're just alone in your car. But, you know, are you lonely? Could you be lonely in a family? 
Yes. Oh, oh, what a pain. What an agony for unloved spouses. You know, Jeremy preached on one last week or the week before. Man, that was just, that was gritty to listen to. 40 years with a husband who had nothing for you. Had no desire to be intimate with you. You were just kind of a thing for him. This week, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers. Quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Going to be a Hall of Famer. Will be. He said this this week. Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to have to make themselves feel better. Because it sets up a binary. Binary. It's us and them, saved and unsaved, heaven and hell. It's enlightened and heathen. It's holy and righteous. That makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. Well, what place religion? Those things just came out of the news. Stephen Hawking is dead. But a number of years ago he said, because there is a law such as gravity... The universe can and will create itself from nothing. I mean, I'll stop in the middle of the quote. That's, that's, that's blithering idiocy. Something from nothing. Okay. He goes on. Spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue touch paper and set the universe going. So says the probably the most brilliant mind that we've had in years. But he now, he now knows the truth. But scientists almost bow down and worship at the words of Stephen Hawking. If you are a physicist and you dismiss Stephen Hawking, you are a fool. Male and female today. What is male? What is female? What is gender? Whatever you want it to be. Is gay okay? Is trans okay? Is trans okay when it comes to weightlifting and sprinting? Isn't love the most important thing? This is a quote. This is a quote that I saw in social media realms this week. I know many people who are gay and very strong Christians. And I believe that you can be gay and Christian. No, I do not give any biblical reasons behind it. Where I stand, I will always support my homosexual friends and family. The Bible says it's sin, but everyone has some kind of sin they always live with. So why is this one any worse? It's not a choice. It's part of their wiring. I believe that 100%. Susan Stevens once said, um, when we were having this discussion about how people say, like, I was born like this, and she said, yes, we're all born in sin. Like, I just choose not to, not to, like, give into my, like, tendencies to, like, want to be a raging alcoholic or, you know, whatever. What is a Christian to say? 
what is, what is our response to this? What is our response to a Christian who asserts this? To one who says he is a brother or sister and puts this out. Rhetorical. Ultimately, that's why we're doing this. That is why we're doing this study because in this community right now, across our country and around the world, people are going, eh. What are we going to do with this? It's interesting in that quote that you just read that it's, I think, I feel, I believe versus God's word says, therefore I will stand. The individual even says, I give no biblical reasons behind it. I mean. Well, and it acknowledges that that Mm -hmm. the Bible calls it sin. But, you know, we all got our sins, you know, hey. Marriage. What is marriage? Why marriage? And people would contend that that goes against our very nature. We were not, you know, you go back to evolutionary background, we're not really monogamous people. The animal kingdom isn't monogamous. Now you get a few peculiar mm. groups of penguins that are. But nobody else. Nature alone is not Uh-huh. We're called out of it. <laughs> Abortion. It's my body, right? Back off. Racism. Racism. How many races are there? One. One. Just one. You know, what, what is the root of racism? Where does racism come from? Yeah. It's it's interesting though. Is it racist? Look at look at look at the NBA. Look at any team on the NBA. And you go. What do you notice? They're all tall. They're all tall. <laughs> you get the, the one every now and then there's a there's a one five foot six guy who's like just it can dribble like nobody's business but, yeah it might be 30 years ago but anyway you know you, you look and you go well they're all most of them most of them are black you look at the football teams and and every time, you know, they, they go, okay, and here's the defense for the New York Giants. And they go, all these guys go, black guy, black guy, black guy, black guy, black guy, black guy, what, white guy, black guy, black guy. And then you look at the offensive line, and it's white guy, white guy, white guy, black guy, white guy. Like, what? What? What's the deal? You, you, and you go, you look at Harvard admissions, who are limiting certain races from coming in for such reasons. And you you don't want to say anything, but euthanasia. 
You have a responsibility to die. You're taking up resources. Why don't you just end your life? What is man's role on the earth? What about animal rights? Animal rights. What about plant rights? No kidding. There are people who advocate, you know, the giant sequoias can't advocate for themselves, so we need to advocate for tree rights. Are all religions the same? You know, these, these are questions. These are questions that go back to this. This goes right back to here. Something terrible happens. Tidal wave comes. We've, we've talked about this before. The first thing the news media is going to do is ask why? Why has this happened? Well, it's man-made global warming. It's our fault that this hurricane <laughs> scraped Homestead Air Force Base off the map. No. Our, so, our book study that the ladies are doing, yeah. the, this week's chapter, she talks about the fact that we ask why when there is suffering and how that points automatically to the fact that we think there is something or someone behind it. We're, we're, we're going to get to that. It's, it's natural within us. We go, hey, something's messed up. Something is amiss. Now, if you want to interject into any of these items... And you mention God, you are dismissed. Well, you're also dismissed from the rest of the conversation because now clearly you are not. You are wise. stupid. Yeah. Christians are stupid. Science is the highest trump card. You want to look like a genius? Appeal to Stephen Hawking. You want to look like a moron? Appeal to Charles Spurgeon. It's almost as though they, they, they think it's cheating or lazy for us to explain anything with God or start from that place. <laughs> Richard Dawkins. My scientific colleagues have additional reasons to declare an emergency. Ignorant and absolutist attacks on genetic research are just the tip of the iceberg. What we have here is no, nothing less than a global assault on rationality and the enlightenment values that inspired the founding of this first and greatest of secular republics. You invoke God in the Bible and you are initiating a global assault on rationality. You are appealing to the irrational. Regarding science and education, Dawkins says scientists and intellectuals generally are now waking up to the threat from the American Taliban. You know who the American Taliban is? That would be creationists. Those who appeal to intelligent design. The PhD scientists who are advocating intelligent design. They're the American Taliban. They're going to be cutting off your head if you don't 
toe the religious line. He goes on, he says, Not only do we need no God to explain the universe and life, he says, God stands out in the universe as the most glaring of all superfluous sore thumbs. The idea of God is so completely unnecessary as to be ridiculous, is, is what he meant, meant there. We cannot, of course, disprove God, just as we can't disprove Thor, fairies, leprechauns, and the flying spaghetti monster. But like those other fantasies that we can't disprove, we can say that God is very, very improbable. You're stupid. You guys are just dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. And this is prominent in the university. 75% of the Yale professors are liberal. Say, I am liberal in all facets. 10, was it? Less than 10% consider themselves to be conservative. Okay? So you can only imagine how many of them hold to an inspired and inerrant word of God. <laughs> really? <laughs> You're kidding me, right? And these are the places that we are sending our kids for school. And if this is being, and, and, and think of this, all colleges and universities want to be like Ivy Leaguers, like the Ivy League schools. They try and emulate that. So this whole thing is a trickle down. And it's going to trickle down into our high schools, and it's going to trickle down into our junior highs, and it's going to trickle down into our elementary schools. And if this is true in the colleges and universities, if it's going to trickle down into other schools, it's going to trickle into seminaries, of which Harvard and Yale and Princeton all started out at but are no more. You are stupid. John MacArthur stands up and in the middle of this onslaught has the audacity to say a biblical understanding of the creation and fall of humanity establishes the necessary foundation for the Christian worldview. If the biblical creation account is in any degree unreliable, the rest of Scripture stands on a shaky foundation. If, if, if these first 11, 12 chapters aren't true, why on earth do you believe that any of the other stuff is true? So how do we accept it? Is it a narrative? Okay. Is it allegory? Is that is the poetry? whole... Good, good. I'm not going to answer that today. <laughs> this, a lot of today, today's in, in a lot of ways simply introductory to... to what's your appetite. 
to help you to understand the importance of coming to terms with this. And what do I do when this gets rubbed in my face day by day? How do I respond to it in my family? How do I respond to it in the culture? How do I respond to it at work? MacArthur goes on. Scripture offers the only accurate explanations that can be found anywhere about how race began, where our moral sense originated, why we cannot seem to do what our own consciences tell us is right, and how we can be redeemed from this hopeless situation. And so, where do we begin? Why do we start with God's word? Okay, why do we start with God's word? We are Christians. I'm going to assume I'm going to impose this upon you because you're sitting here. Okay, that may not necessarily be the case. That may not necessarily be the case. But we're going to start with that. Was that a rhetorical question? No, it wasn't a question. It was a statement. Oh, okay. It was a statement. A rat in a maze cannot fathom or comprehend the maze. You can't. It's his existence. Okay? The Truman Show. You know, Truman can't fathom and comprehend this. He can explore it. He can go out in his little boat and go boom and run into the... But he's going, I still have no comprehension of what this is. And he has to go out and explore. And still he's going to find, ooh, it's a bigger world outside the dome. And still he's going to go, what am I doing here? I don't get this. People on the earth, starting from themselves, cannot come to a correct understanding of their reality. You can't. It is impossible. Starting from yourself. Even if you build upon all of the knowledge of mankind over the ages, beginning with <laughs> yourself, you are not going to comprehend it unless the one who made it all reveals it correctly to you. Well, there are some things you can, uh, you know, understand about gravity. Okay, yeah, I can figure that out. But that does not answer the big questions. Unless, unless somebody who made it revealed it to us. What if we received an explanation that with incredible clarity explained our world? What if this explanation satisfied my deepest questions? And what if this explanation came from the one who actually created me and made plain to me that he loved me and cared about me? What a revelation. 
you know, as Eb, Eb and Frankie were both, and Tracy actually, there are, there are questions that gnaw at us. Albert Muller talks about four fundamental questions that really every worldview must answer. And do these do the answers to these four questions correspond with reality? The first question that a worldview must answer is, why is there something rather than nothing? Why, why are we even here? I mean, how did, how did this all come to be? Why isn't there just nothing? I don't think the presence of gravity is going to create something from nothing. Then the second question is, what's wrong? As Tracy highlighted, what's wrong? Because you go, this, this is, something is wrong. Third question, kind of stems off the second one. If there's something wrong, is there any hope? Is there any hope? And ultimately, where is this all going? How will it end? Now, you can put those four questions on a personal level, and these are things that, that most people at some point in their life are going to wrestle with. The four questions on a personal level is, who am I? Who am I? Where did I come from? Not Gibbon Jan Pond. We're on a bigger level. Where did I come from? And then as I stare in the mirror early in the morning or late at night, what is wrong with me? Why did that thought come into my head even? Really? And ultimately, the last question, where am I going? Where am I going? You know, as we go through this study, my intent and desire at one point is just to look at the glory of how Scripture recognizes the creation throughout. First thing we're going to do here, though, is if we are going to stand on this, if we are going to be standing on this when it comes to our understanding of the creation, then we must understand what it is we're looking at. You know, what does God's word say about itself? And so that is where we will start here, uh, Sarah, would you go to Psalm 119? And it's actually not on there, Katie, but would you go to Psalm 19? David, would you take uh, Proverbs there, Tracy, Second Timothy? Frankie, would you take Second Peter? And Eb, would you take Matthew 5 there? And you, you may want to want to flip to these. We're, we're not just going to cursorily go over them. I want to I want to kind of steep 
in what this says and what the implications ultimately are for us. Psalm 119, uh, 151, and then 160. Verse 151. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Verse 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. What is the psalmist declaring about God's word? Okay. It's is this true truth or is this these real facts? Is this it's truth? What does this mean? Does anyone take it literally? Growing up, I remember so yes, take it by the literal. And at least my generation we take it by the literal. Yeah. So That's an important question. But what does it mean that it is true? It's true Back for you, man. Reality. <laughs> what? Wait. Okay. Reality. It corresponds with reality. It corresponds with what is. It is correct. You know, a, a level, uh, a carpenter is trying to make a board so that it is smooth and level, so that it is true. And he measures it against something that corresponds to what is true. So it corresponds ultimately to reality. And I would say, let's take it further... Corresponds to God. It is. Which is how the verse started. But you are near, Lord. Beautiful. Psalm 19, verse 4. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then he has set a tent for the sun. Did I? I wrote down the wrong Sorry. verse. Nope, I did. My fault. <laughs> Go in there. Oh, the measuring line. I mean, yeah. yeah. Kind of a relating to true, like a plumb line. Yeah. No, that's. If you're going to use the law of gravity. To, you know. <laughs> but I think actually. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It was verse nine. My bad. Nineteen nine. Yeah, nineteen nine. The fear, the fear of the Lord. Yep. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Okay. The, the rules of the Lord, they're true. They're righteous. They, co again, correspond to the living God. Psalm 18, verse 30. You didn't give that to anybody. I didn't. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. 
is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. God's way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. So that means when you test it, it is not going to fail you. It will prove itself true. These are declarations that God makes to us about his word. They are true, which means that if they are not, what? If they, okay, if they, if they do not prove true, what does that mean? God is a liar. <clears throat> that, that this one who declares this to be so, he is a liar. The things that God's word says about itself are not things we can just dismiss. We, ah, you know, I don't believe that. <laughs> to say you don't believe that is a huge implication. Because God's word says you better believe it because it's true. It corresponds with reality. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every... Word of God proves true. Every word of God. It is a shield. How can this be? Because we know of the 66 books, how many authors were there? Ish. 30s. In the, in the probably the high, mid-high 30s. Probably different authors. Man, written over how long? Yeah, 2,000-ish years in there. Okay. And you go, ah, go what? Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We could do a sermon on this. All scripture, which means what? All scripture. All scripture, thank you. Good. <laughs> the, whole of the, Bible. the whole of the Bible. Okay, now you, somebody's going to go, the cynic is going to go, well, he's talking about the Old Testament. Okay, let's just leave it at that for right now. Even some would say, what about the apocryphal books? What about on. all the other All scripture is what? God breathed. Breathed out by God. That means God is the source of all scripture. He is the source. Paul goes on to talk about its profitability and ultimately how it is completing. That we may be complete, lacking nothing. Complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is intended by God to be completing for us. Okay, now in Second Peter, actually, I want you to back up, Frankie, and start in I believe it's verse sixteen, and read forward from there through twenty-one. 
Nope. One. One sixteen through twenty one. We have not followed cunningly devised fables, and we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received for he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I suppose that. Okay. The first part of that section. 16 through 17 here, 16 through 18. Peter's going, we saw. We were on the Mount of Transfiguration and we heard the voice of God speak about God the Son to testify. And so Peter was there. He saw it. And this is what Peter says. He goes, we have something even better than that. We have something better than hearing the word of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. We've got something better than that. We've got scripture. We have the prophetic word fully confirmed. And oh, by the way, you would do well to pay attention (laughs) to it. And then he goes on to describe how scripture comes about. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Guys don't go, oh, I got a great inspiration here. I'm going to write something down. Okay? And if it's not God's inspiration, that book or letter is going to not withstand the test. Something that's kind of stuck with me about about that is like you know Paul probably wrote way more letters than what we have to a bunch of churches sure. throughout the Mediterranean. Sure. You know. But not every word that Paul spoke was inspired by God. So not every letter. Yeah. <clears throat> and interestingly, we don't have all the words of Jesus. We have what was sufficient. Us. But it goes on. He says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So they were inspired to write what they wrote. Is God powerful enough to have a man, a mere man, write down what he wants them to write correctly? You go, you go, you go. You go oh. It's absurd not to think that he couldn't do that. It's, it's ludicrous to think that almighty, omnipotent God could not do what Peter is declaring that he did do. It's always surprising to me that Christians would believe that they, that they serve a God big enough to save them from eternity and hell and create the world, but not big enough that, to make sure that his word doesn't say in half the way he wants it to for thousands of years. 
Last verse, Matthew 5, 18. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Okay, it is the smallest pen stroke. It is the smallest pen stroke. Um, Jeremy was talking about it when he was talking about I's and T's. But, for example, you know, that... Is a Hebrew letter. That is a different Hebrew letter. What is the difference right there? That is a Hebrew letter. My mom used to call them jots and tittles. Iotas, yolds, and iotas. Okay? Those little marks. There, there is not one little mark that is not going to be fulfilled in God's word. There's more we could look at with regard to what God's word says itself. But people are going to say, but the Bible isn't a science textbook. And this gets into interpretation. You know, how do I read God's word? They're going to say it's not a science textbook. To what? How do you answer that? What do you say? You go, you're right. It's not a science textbook. But where it speaks on issues regarding the scientific realm, it speaks truly and accurately. It speaks of the, hydro, the water cycle, the hydro cycle of evaporation and rain and coming down. It's, it speaks about the earth hanging in the cosmos as if on nothing. Because it is hanging, what's the earth hanging on? Nothing. Nothing. It, well, you know, it, there's things that it says, you know, it doesn't speak rightly. You know, the weatherman still, during the weather forecast, will talk about the sunrise. Sunrise is tomorrow at 645. You know, he's a moron. Dumb. The sun doesn't rise. The earth rotates and the sun appears because of the earth's rotation. You know, it's a... It is a oh, it is a figure of speech. There. It's not we're not stupid. So no, you're right, it's not a science textbook. But where it touches upon the scientific realm, I would contend that it speaks accurately. Where it speaks of history, it speaks accurately. Is all of the Bible a history. No, no. no, it's not. What what else? What else is the Bible? Okay, poetry. And what do you do in poetry when you write a song? You get literal. Your eyes are pools of water. No, no. You know, it is a figure of speech. Poetry is laden with figures of speech, and so you read it as poetry. And this is called, this is called hermeneutics. How do I read this? You read it in wisdom. If it declares itself to be a historical narrative, then read it that way. If it is obviously poetry, read it that way. Is it prophetic? 
Is it speaking about something that will happen future? Then read it that way. Is he talking about uh, uh, dragons and you go, ooh, now what do I do with that? Well, I need to be careful. If I can read it literally and it doesn't compromise the text, then stand on what it says. How does the rest of the Bible speak on that particular passage? Does it speak as though that is a literal thing? Noah and the ark, really? Boat flooded the whole earth? Come on. Um, that's the way the rest of Scripture speaks of Noah as a real event. And there's more beyond. There's, there are things within the world that would testify to the truth of that. So as we, open, if, as we open God's word, whenever we open God's word, we need to ask ourselves just some fundamental questions, some hermeneutical questions. Who wrote this thing? Who, who was the guy who actually put pen to paper? Why did they write it? To whom did they write it? What cultural issues of that day are important for us to understand as we read it? And what cultural prejudices do I bring to the table when I try to read it? What kind of writing is it? We already talked about that. Is it history? Is it allegory? Is it poetry? Is it legal prose? Are we just giving the laws here? And how do I know? Well, we've got to be careful when we read these things. And as I mentioned, when we are reading something, if we get befuddled, let the text interpret the text. Let God's word speak to it. Go, oh, okay, that's how I am supposed to understand it. Now, facts. Facts. I don't write that in red. It's just the first time I did Facts are stubborn things. Facts must, by definition, be true, and they must correspond with reality. Okay? A fact is a fact. It took me 12 minutes, 37 seconds to drive to work today. Okay? That's either a fact or it's not. Now, if I say it took me 13 minutes, am I lying to you? Or am I just rounding off? Okay? So we need to be, again, careful. But, but a fact is a stubborn thing. You can't just dismiss a fact. So what do I do when the Bible conflicts with science? Are we talking about secular science or natural God-written science? Which is what we see as biblical science. Are we putting our truth with secular science? That atheist, agnostic scientists that don't believe in this, that use other means? This is, this is so important. When you hear somebody say, science says, your, your little uh, siren should be going off. Whoop, 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 whoop. Because they're throwing out the trump card. Well, let's back up, Bubba. And go, what are, what are you saying? What do you mean by this? 
What are the actual facts? Okay, what is the data? Data is, again, data can be manipulated, manipulated numbers. Well, you know, 150,000 years ago, the temperature of the earth was a whole lot different. You go, what's the record? Who had the thermometer 150,000 years ago? What do you have to prove this? Is this merely a speculation? You know, really, before history, when we are, when scientists, when those who study, they are speculating based on the way things are now and by other means, by strato layers and such. And, and at best, rising, arriving at a consensus. Yeah. Well, they're, they're making at a best. conclusion. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a guess. It's like, we've agreed that we feel like this is what happened. So... So we need to be very, very careful. What we have seen, hopefully, each one of us, is that God is trustworthy. The Psalms are replete with testimonies to the fact that they, the psalmists, David especially, has trusted in God. I'll leave you with this verse here. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in scientists. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Who gave himself for me and died for me. You know, I go with what John MacArthur said. If, the, if, if this, what we are about to study, is false then the rest of scripture is at best just a book.